Chapter seventy nine of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas. The translator is unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. Chapter seventy nine The Last Accusation. As soon as the king left the room, the queen ran towards the boudoir and opened the door. Then, as if her strength failed her, sank down on a chair, waiting for the decision of Monsieur de Charny, her last and most formidable judge. He came out more sad and pale than ever. Well, said she. Madame, replied he, you see everything opposes our friendship. There can be no peace for me, while such scandalous reports circulate in public, putting my private convictions aside. Then, said the Queen, all I have done, this perilous aggression, this public defiance of one of the greatest nobles in the kingdom, and my conduct being exposed to the test of public opinion, does not satisfy you oh cried charny you are noble and generous i know but you believe me guilty you believe the cardinal i command you to tell me what you think i must say then madame that he is neither mad nor wicked as you called him but a man thoroughly convinced of the truth of what he said a man who loves you and the victim of an error which will bring him to ruin and you well to dishonour mon dieu this odious woman, this Madame de la Motte, disappearing just when her testimony might have restored you to repose and honour, she is the evil genius, the curse of your reign, she whom you have unfortunately admitted to partake of your intimacy and your secrets. Oh, sir! Yes, madame, it is clear that you combined with her and the cardinal to buy this necklace. Pardon if I offend you. Stay, sir, replied the queen, with a pride not unmixed with anger. What the king believes, others might believe, and my friends not be harder than my husband. It seems to me that it can give no pleasure to any man to see a woman whom he does not esteem. I do not speak of you, sir. To you I am not a woman but a queen, as you are to me not a man but a subject. I had advised you to remain in the country, and it was wise. Far from the court, you might have judged me more truly. Too ready to condescend, I have neglected to keep up, with those whom I thought loved me, the prestige of royalty. I should have been a queen and content to govern, and not have wished to be loved. I cannot express, replied Charny, how much your severity wounds me. I may have forgotten that you were a queen, but never that you were the woman most in the world worthy of my respect and love. Sire, I think your absence is necessary. Something tells me that it will end by your name being mixed up in all this. Impossible, madame. You say impossible. Reflect on the power of those who have for so long played with my reputation. You say that Monsieur de Rouen is convinced of what he asserts. Those who cause such convictions would not be long in proving you a disloyal subject to the king and a disgraceful friend to me. Those who invent so easily what is false will not be long in discovering the truth. Lose no time, therefore. The peril is great. Retire and fly from the scandal which will ensue from the approaching trial. I do not wish that my destiny should involve yours, or your future be ruined. I, who am, thank God, innocent, and without a stain on my life, I, who would lay bare my feet to my enemies, could they thus read its purity, will resist to the last. For you might come ruin, defamation, and perhaps imprisonment. Take away the money you so nobly offered me, and the assurance that not one movement of your generous heart has escaped me, and that your doubts, though they have wounded, 
have not estranged me. Go, I say, and seek elsewhere what the Queen of France can no longer give you, hope and happiness. From this time to the convocation of Parliament, and the production of witnesses, must be a fortnight. Your uncle has vessels ready to sail. Go and leave me. I bring misfortunes on my friends. Saying this, the Queen rose, and seemed to give Charny his congé. He approached quickly, but respectfully. Your Majesty, cried he, in a moved voice, shows me my duty. It is here that danger awaits you, here that you are to be judged, and that you may have one loyal witness on your side. I remain here. Perhaps we may still make your enemies tremble before the majesty of an innocent queen, and the courage of a devoted man. And if you wish it, madame, I will be equally hidden and unseen, as though I went. During a fortnight that I lived within a hundred yards of you, watching your every movement, counting your steps, living in your life, no one saw me. I can do so again, if it please you. As you please, replied she. I am no coquette, Monsieur de Charny, and to say what I please is the true privilege of a queen. One day, sir, I chose you from every one. I do not know what drew my heart towards you, but I had need of a strong and pure friendship, and I allowed you to perceive that need. But now I see that your soul does not respond to mine, and I tell you so frankly. Oh, madame, cried Charny, I cannot let you take away your heart from me. If you have once given it to me, I will keep it with my life. I cannot lose you. You reproached me with my doubts. Oh, do not doubt me. Ah, said she, but you are weak, and I, alas, am so also. You are all I love you to be. What? cried she passionately. This abused queen, this woman about to be publicly judged, that the world condemns, and that her king and husband may perhaps also in turn condemn, has she found one heart to love her? A slave who venerates her, and offers her his heart's blood, in exchange for every pang he has caused her. Then, cried she, this woman is blessed and happy, and complains of nothing. Charny fell at her feet, and kissed her hands in transport. At that moment the door opened, and the king, surprised, at the feet of his wife, the man whom he had just heard accused by the Comte de Provence. End of chapter 79